Welcome to Once Upon a Disney, an analytical yet fun-loving look at Disney narrative filmography from the 20th century. I'm Andy Redwine, and with me, as always, is my co-host and fellow rail writer, Mr. Larry Brenner. How are you, Larry? I'm good, Andy. How are you doing? I'm doing great. We've got a guest star today. We've got a great guest star today. Uh, This is my friend Jennifer Garrity. Uh, Jennifer Garrity graduated from NYU's Tisch School of the Arts with a degree in drama. Uh, She currently lives in Paris. Um, She recently won her short uh, short film Metal Detector was presented at the best at the Bogdan at the Bowdoin International Film Festival in 2021, where she she won Best First Time Filmmaker. Yeah, she did. Uh, Yes, she did, and <laughs> and she's recently started her own pot work, podcast network, which is going to host about eight to ten shows Ooh. called Paris Underground Radio, which are podcasts for and by expats in and around Paris. Wow! This so this is our first international guest, even it is. It is. We had to <laughs> we had to coordinate time zone stuff and everything. It's awesome. We did. Should I speak with an accent to make myself more exotic? Yes. Would you? Hello, I am Jennifer. It's so nice to be here. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> perfect. Excellent. Now maintain it for the next 90 minutes. <laughs> no problem. No problem. Okay. So. so I this, like her already, Larry. This is going to be great. I knew you would. Um, so this episode is about the first Disney movie that we've done that I had never seen. Um, oh. Which is The Journey of Natty Gan. Um, from 1985. Jennifer, could you tell us why you wanted to do The Journey of Natty Gan? I can. I had actually completely forgotten about this movie. And when I was looking at the list of Disney movies, I saw this and it was like my whole childhood came rushing back to me. I oh. loved this movie when I was little. I don't remember like when or how I first saw it. I don't think we had Disney Channel. I must have like not to date myself, but I must have gone to like a blockbuster or something and just rented it over and over and over again. When I was going through like the list oh, of films, did. I asked my sister, I was like, oh, should I do The Journey of Natty Gan? She was like, you were obsessed with that film. I think because she was just a little bit older than me mm. and she was so sassy and self-assured and like she was never afraid to speak her mind. I just found her very aspirational and she had a pet wolf. And she has a pet wolf, which is perfect. Yeah. I mean, this movie was nominated for an Oscar in costume design. Um, It was written by Jean Rosenberg. She also worked on White Fang and The Black Stallion. Um, And the movie's an original screenplay, which kind of has some... When you know she worked on White Fang and The Black Stallion, you can see it, right? Um, But this movie did not do... I mean, despite the, you know, Jennifer's... uh, patronage at Blockbuster, this movie did not do well, which is which is surprising because, you know, Siskel and Ebert gave the movie two thumbs up. Uh, People were sort of surprised it didn't do better at the box office. Uh, But where the movie really did shine again was kind of this underground VHS uh, rentals. And um, it's still a little known gem by a lot of people. Yeah, just just in case you haven't seen Journey of Natty Gan, and I always assume if I haven't seen it, other people haven't, although I've missed out on a lot of things that other people have seen. The plot is not super complicated. There's a young woman. Her name is Natty Gan. Her father takes a job across the country, uh, and she decides to journey across the country to get to her father. Um, 
But that that summary doesn't let you know how fun this movie is. I mean, that's reducing it to plot elements. Uh, and when the three of us were talking a little pre-production, we took a look at the trailer uh, for for the journey of Natty Gan, and we decided to entirely blame the trailer uh, for the reason that the movie didn't do well. Agree. Uh, <laughs> so, so what we noticed was it really tended to focus on action sequences. Uh, and Jennifer was saying, you know, it's an action movie, but it's not really an action movie. Yeah, no, it's a love story. It's a love story between Natty and her dad, which is like a beautiful love story, especially for a 12-year-old girl, which is the time when you should be rebelling against your parents. Or it's a love story between Natty and her wolf. Sure. You know, or it's a love story, like, like, but it it's about the relationships of these characters. The other thing I noticed from this trailer is they don't show any action that is suspenseful. Mm-hmm. They show the resolution to every suspenseful thing that's going to happen. They <laughs> even show the final seconds of the movie, Natty reuniting with her father. Um, like, I, you don't do that in a trailer. <laughs> you need to leave them hungry, right? And there's not a lot of hunger after you watch this. You're like, oh, they encapsulated a movie in 90 seconds. That's Okay. But you also don't care because they don't show you any of the bits with Natty and her dad in the beginning where we see how much they love each other. Right. So they get together in the end and you're like, oh, great. Well, that happened. You know, you miss all of the sweeping epic story-ness of it. Which leads us directly into our next segment, which is the Manish Tana. And anybody who's uh, listening for the first time, the Manish Tana, it's the opening of the four questions of Passover, which begin... Uh, why does this? Why is this night different from all other nights? Um, and I would throw out to you: we know that the movie is going to be about this journey, but I would say that the first 15, 20 minutes of the movie, Natty is not journeying. Why do we start so far before the journey? Uh, why do we start of all places at like a union meeting? Where, where Natty's, that, that's where we begin, right? It's a union meeting. Natty's father is getting up and talking to all of the other workers about how they need to work, how they need to get money. Um, why do we start there? Well, ultimately, I think theme-wise, um, you know, we're in the world of the Great Depression. And Natty, interestingly, encourages her father to lead these workers. She tells him, go on. Like she kind of nudges him toward that and he he takes on and, he's, and he gets in front of people and he says, we want to work, we need to work, we have a right to work. And that whole thing sets up why he's willing and it's why we sort of forgive him for abandoning her, right? Because if he just leaves with a job, we're not going to believe that that relationship's going to hold. Right. Not only that, but we need this time to see the relationship between Natty and her dad. You know, Natty goes and and picks a fight, sort of, with these boys in the toilet. And typically the dad would be like, girls, don't fight. You shouldn't be doing this. It's wrong in general, but also you're a girl. And instead her dad's like, ah, put up your dukes. You know, he gets her. And we see how much they really love each other, how much they rely on each other, how they have this, like, symbiotic relationship. And because of that, the stakes are really raised when suddenly he has to leave without telling her. Yeah, I think these early minutes are, are establishing that there are some real problems. There's a real problem with their f- 
financial situation, which mm-hmm. is going to motivate some decisions going later. But also, Natty has some problems that she's working through. And I, when I say that she has problems, I don't mean that she is more problematic than another teenage girl might might be uh, living in this time period in, in this situation. But like, there are issues left unresolved that hopefully over the course of her journey, she will we will see resolved. I think I think that's true. Um, I do you guys think at the beginning of the movie they are playing because I don't know how how hard they're playing with it. The way that they dress Natty, are they trying to tease us into thinking maybe she's a boy and then there's the reveal that she's a girl? Her face is so pretty and feminine. I don't I don't know how much how much work is being done for that. But like where we see her from a little bit of a far away shot a little bit with two with two other boys and right. I, I think it's supposed to like sort of trick our brain a little bit she's one of the guys but that's not the first time we see her is it not what no the first? first time we see her is right in the beginning we've got all the men in the big room the dad walks in and looks around and natty pops up behind him and says go on dad go okay. talk and that's the first time we see her and i think we see her face immediately it's it's a girl's face and we hear her voice and she's egging on her dad. No, I'm with you. Right. And, and we know, but we also know from that, the next scene, like you said, in, in the bathroom, like she, we know, and this is the, it's part of the genius of this movie. Like we know that she's not a typical girl. We know she's a fighter. We know she's adventurous. We know she can steal cigarettes. We know she's resourceful. We know that she's kind of off the, off the trail, but like, we know every, but we, but we don't. Yeah, I mean, I think the costuming helps with that. But I never got the feeling where it was like, oh, she's pretending to be a boy. I think, I think her father. I got the feeling that her father really didn't know how to. And this is going to sound really, you know, awful, but didn't know how to raise a girl, right? Sure. So in 1985, it's you know she would be considered a tomboy, right? Um, and so this is sort of. She's not typical. We can't have just a regular old girl with a dress riding the rails, right? We have to have a atypical kind of scrappy girl who does this kind of stuff. So, you know, for the time, I think it would be done differently now. Thank God. But yeah, I think I think that's that's where we're at. With Natty, again, you know, she's she's sort of doing what her dad does. This is she's kind of following in his footsteps down to his dress. They wear the same hat. Yep. Yeah, they do. All right, so let's talk about the plot elements here. So that opening sequence, all of that is exposition. Uh, we learn about Natty. We learn about her father. We, we get the time period. We get how desperate uh, he is for work. All of that information. There are a couple of places where we might point to this is the inciting incident. And by the inciting incident, what we mean is this is the event that triggers the movie. And as I like to say sometimes, if I was giving this as a test to my film students and they pointed to a couple of different things as the inciting incident, I would I would take a bunch of different answers as correct here. Uh, you know, there, there doesn't have to be one right answer. What's something that you guys think might be the inciting incident of this movie? What, what causes the journey? For me, I think the inciting incident is when Natty overhears Connie calling the police. Because in as much as Natty is rebellious, 
she listens to her father and she trusts her father. And I think even after he had left, if he knew, if she knew he wanted her to stay, she would have stayed. And it's not until he overhears Connie saying, you know, this is an abandoned girl. She needs to get taken away, locked up, whatever, that Natty's like, I got to leave. And that's when the journey starts. I mean, that directly leads. She's not journeying till that happens. Right. And I would certainly take that as an inciting incident. I, uh, probably the answer I would give. Um, is there another answer that anybody wants to throw out here? <laughs> I love it. Larry, it's like your teaching workshop. Um, I'm sorry, I'm still no. in the workshop. <laughs> Larry and I have been in a workshop all week, so it's, um, he's, sounding a lot, he's sounding similar. Um, no, so, so I think it's when Saul gets a job and then the ticking clock of the 6 p.m. bus. So we have, he's got a job. It's an opportunity for him. He wrestles with it. He's not sure what to quite what to do. And thank God we see him wrestling with it because we wouldn't like him otherwise. And then there's the 6 p.m. bus. He's running around trying to find his daughter who can't be found. And he leaves on the bus. And I, that's the other answer that I would take because that is the event that changes everything for Natty, her separation from her father. So her father gets that job and leaves. And we could say, you know, maybe the physical journey doesn't begin till she gets that phone call or she overhears that phone call with Connie, but that the emotional journey that she's about to go on begins the second she realizes her father is now gone. Uh, I would take both of those. So when we're talking about rising action and climax, we're generally talking about all the things that happen in Act 2, leading, uh, that's the rising action. So, you know, Natty begins her journey, she rides the rails, she gets, she gets thrown in juvie, um, you know, she has time with the blacksmith, she meets John Cusack, there's like a lot of, there's a she lot of stuff. She meets a wolf. She meets and becomes best friends and soulmates with a wolf. My apologies. There's a lot of stuff that happens that would be the rising action. Well, so, I always talk about screenwriting as taking this lovable character and tying them up and putting them on a train track and barreling a fiery train of explosives toward her to see how she escapes. This is totally that movie. Sure. Literally all of those things happen. <laughs> but, but, you know, one of the things that we learned in English class when they taught us that, that uh, plot line and that the rising action is this line going up. What, what, what they don't always tell us is when we take a microscope to that line, very often the rising action is two step forward, one step back. Mm -hmm. She gets a little closer, but then she gets a setback as she's working her way towards the climax. And she's getting closer and closer geographically to her father. But in some ways, she's as far as she can possibly be from him when she's in juvie and is told, like, you're going to be here for years. Right. The distance becomes measured in almost time more than more than space at that point. She's farther apart now than if she'd stayed in New York. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, she's she's the personification of Murphy's Law, right? Like yeah. anything that can grow wrong will. And it totally does in this movie. And I think that's what keeps us there because you're like, OK, I want her to get to her dad. I, but but and she does. But but like it's not easy for her. And she makes a lot of changes. I mean, she grows as a person. She grows as a character. And. I mean, no wonder Jennifer loved this movie when she was a kid. It's perfect. There are, there are so many reasons. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so what would you say the climax of the movie is? Generally speaking, when we're talking about the climax, this is the moment where the forces of good contend with the forces of evil, where the conflict is at its highest point, where things are at their most suspenseful, where we are worried that things will go terribly, horribly wrong. What would what would you guys point to as the climax? There's... Again, probably more than one answer here. 
I don't know if this is a wrong answer, <laughs> but for me, I think the climax is pretty close to the end of the film, like moments away from the end of the film. When Natty is in a car going up to finally see her dad and it breaks down and her dad is putting explosives in to blow something or other up and it explodes. And so like now these they're so close to getting together and they can't. To me, that's the climax. No, yeah, I, I, I agree. And she's chasing the, I mean, she's chasing the car. She's chasing, um, you know, she sees yeah. her dad in the car and she's chasing him and it, she can't run fast enough. And she's, you know, the car's winding around and she's trying to take shortcuts to, and she can't get to the truck and she can't get to the truck. And there's this moment where she turns around. She's like, she's done. And then she turns around and there's Saul. Yeah. And so for me, that feels like, you know, and then they, uh, it doesn't feel like I have really any falling action. Maybe it's all together in one piece. I, like it ends too fast for me. That's that's the my only like one. I want more. I want some falling action. I did. Have, I had the same reaction when when they got back together. I was like, great, but can we see them have a conversation? What what's her decision going to be about the boy that she likes? Right. Like, are they gonna are they gonna head down to head down south? Like like all of those things. There's none of that. No. Little girl reunited with her father. Done. We're yeah. out. What else right. do you need to see? I think I'm too enamored with this film because for me, I'm like, yeah, perfect. I don't need to see anything else. They're back together again. Of course, they're going to live happily ever after the end. So the other place that I might point out as the climax is arguably it is the moment where she lets Wolf go. Oh, God. Oh, Oh, my God. God. I cried so hard. Because throughout, you know, at the beginning, not throughout the movie, but once she runs in with Wolf, they are bonded in this spiritual, I would, I almost want to say like, like that, that he is, he is her spirit guide. Like mm-hmm. that they are, they are linked. Like they understand each other on this intuitive level. What the moment they lock eyes after, after the dog fighting, that's it. They are, they are one person. And he starts hearing the calls of the female, female wolves out in the wilderness. And he keeps resisting the call. He goes off to explore uh, but but he always, always comes back to Natty. And then there's that final moment where, and every time that he goes, she's like, no, don't go. I love you. I need you. Protect me. Then there's the moment she hasn't found her father yet. Wolf hears the things out there, out the, the, women, the women wolves out there, and she gives him permission to leave. Mm-hmm. And for me... Uh, Look, I, I agree with you. The real climax is where you guys pointed it out. But I think there's a real argument for, like, her her journey reaches a resolution. She's an adult now. She's no longer looking for the Guardian. Now it's about protecting other people. And she transitions in that moment where she has her moment of truth and she lets the wolf go. Larry, I think that's brilliant. And if, yeah. if that's, a, I mean, it's almost like this film has three climaxes then. Because then we also have that moment with Harry. Yes. Where she has to let, she get she lets Harry go. Yeah. And she says, I cannot follow you. I mean, and it's not an all hope is lost moment because it feels strong on her part. I hurt for Harry, but she's, she's pretty resolute. And so she's resolved in that. She's resolved in, and, and she lets Harry go. She lets the wolf go. 
So this, yeah, I mean, and then we have that final moment where she gets to embrace her dad. And I think that bam, bam, and then their embrace, it makes the punch even, even stronger. Right. And, and so Jennifer, I, I hear you like we've seen all we need to see, but to a degree, I would love for Saul to have a moment to recognize how much Natty has changed over the sure. journey. Um, that, that she isn't his little girl. She'll always be his little girl, but she isn't the little girl who needed him in the same way that she'll need him now. That their relationship has changed, and hopefully for the better. Right? Like, she's more independent now. She's she's more self Anyway. Um, should we start talking about Natty? Yeah, let's talk. Let's dive into these characters. Um, Natty, I'm going to say, is our obvious protagonist in this movie. Yeah, no argument. Who else could it be? Yeah. I mean, everything that Natty deals with, this is, and this is a strength of the screenwriter. Everything Natty deals with internally is mirrored in another situation externally. And it gives the script this incredible balance. I mean, we, like, we kind of wonder when we, she's lying there in her bed without her dad and we see the empty bed of her father, right? Um, we sort of can guess how she feels. But then when she leaves that puppy with Sherman, she says, you'll be okay. And it's kind of like, she now we know how she imagines her father feels about leaving her. I mean, it's it's ridiculously good. Yeah. Uh, she's complicated. She's very uh, complicated. And what I like about her is she's complicated in a very teenage way. And by that, I mean, like, teenagers don't know who they are yet. Right. Am I supposed, like, you're half an adult, half a kid, and, like, you, you want to be brave, but you want to be held. You want to be independent, but you also, you also want mom and dad there. We see her during the day. Like, she is free to run around in New York without a care in the world. She's staring at nothing. <laughs> and yet, her daddy's gone. And, like, while yeah. that might not change her day-to-day basis, because they don't spend the day together, it... It makes everything scarier than it than it might otherwise be. I love that about her. I think that's true. One of the other things that I really love is that she doesn't actually talk very much. It's a very powerful performance, and I think a lot because of what Andy said, because the, the world around her reflects how she's feeling. It's such a powerful performance. She only speaks when she really has something to say. And I think that's a really powerful, I think she's a powerful role model for for young girls. But I also think this would be a really important film for young boys to see because she's so powerful. She's she doesn't she's never really wrong. She's got a strong moral compass. She's a bit rebellious because she's 12 and you know she's I can do whatever I want. But she's never really wrong. She has a very good sense of morality. You know, she and her heart's in the right place. She saves dogs and wolves and all that. I think um I think she's a great role model. I think early on we get a lot of dialogue in the movie, but I noticed like as the movie goes on, we have all these moments without so much. We really get a sense that she's alone. And, you know, you really have to, you know, you can't just like look away. You really have to watch what's happening. And especially between her and the wolf, which I think, I mean, it's, you're right. Incredible performance. Yeah. She sells it. I'm buying it. If we were going to po- point to someone as being the secondary protagonist of a movie, 
I think we would I think we would probably argue Saul is that secondary protagonist. The deuteragonist, which is one of my favorite words to use, um, is Saul. We get a bunch of scenes from his perspective as well, and he's on his own journey too. Um, and I like Saul. I don't know that I would be upset if they did like a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead of this, where we flipped. <laughs> We flipped who the protagonist was. We made most of the movie Saul, and we only cut to Natty occasionally. I I think I would like that movie too, not more, but I'd also I'd also like to see his story. Um, and we do see a lot of his story. Uh, what do you guys think about Saul? I mean, I think Saul is a paradox, right? And I think I shared this with you earlier, Larry, um, in pre-production, like. Saul has to abandon his daughter to love her, which yeah. is a really weird thing, right? We don't see that in movies. I mean, I, you know, we don't see this father going, I'm leaving you because I love you. Um, and he also, you know, he he's a leader, but he's also just kind of overwhelmed by the, you know, by the situation of the day. I mean, as he gets on the bus, he says, you know, I'm no red, Right. And so he, he, he has to take, he, he has, he's idealistic, but at the same time, he's realistic. Not only that, Saul is smart, right? I don't, I don't, you, there's, everybody recognizes in him that there's something special about him. Of all the people who are looking for jobs in New York, he's the one that they're going to take. And we, we can talk about that in a little bit. But once he gets to the, the logging camp and he starts saying, I want to take the most dangerous jobs, um, like the foreman is like, those jobs are for people who are expendable. You're not expendable. You're, you're too valuable to take that high risk job. Um, and, and like, do I think Saul's a red? I don't think he's a red. Do I think he's read the Communist Manifesto? I bet you he has. There, there, there is a keen intelligence to him, which is surprising in a movie that's about the working man. You don't often see them as as recognized as having, you know, that's like if they're uneducated or they're not classically educated, there's an idea that they're dumb. And I just I I was I was pleasantly surprised at the portrayal of his intelligence throughout the movie. I thought that was a great choice. Because of he's course he's also he's also a real optimist. Like yes. he believes in the good in people. He's very trusting. You know, Natty says, "Oh, I don't like Connie, but but Saul says, "No, she'll take care of you. I believe her. I believe that this job will change our lives. I believe I'll be able to send money back. I believe Connie will protect you." And I think this I don't know, this benevolence in him is so nice to see. And he's so well-written and well-performed that, I mean, if he were played by anyone else or written even a little bit worse, we would not like him for leaving her. Yeah, he's oh, no. so conflicted and you believe it. And, and he's constantly trying to get back to her. So I, don't, I just think it's a very powerful role. And I don't think we often see these kinds of relationships between fathers and daughters on screen that are so pure in this, this love and trust. And that's such a great point, Jennifer, because he's an optimist during the Great Depression, but that's why he's up on the stage 
doing right. like waiting for Lefty for everybody, giving giving his Clifford Odette speech about how things can change for the working man, because right. he because he does believe things can get better for them. He's he's not just saying it; he believes it. And of course, she's also she has her father's optimism, which is why when when we get to the point where Saul believes Natty to be de- dead, uh, his, his character undergoes a dramatic shift. And, you know, it's hard not to see the fact that he starts volunteering for the most dangerous jobs at the logging camp as an, it's, it's an attempt at suicide, right? Yes. It's yeah. death by work. For sure. Yeah, I think without her, he has no reason to live. He's invested everything into this daughter. She is his better future. That's it. Right. Mm. Wow. So, hey, do you want me to throw out the word tritagonist and say who's our third protagonist? Uh, <laughs> I'm into it. Well, I could argue. I could argue. We could. We could say the wolf is our tritagonist. I would argue that. Yeah, you want to talk about wolf, Jennifer? I love the wolf. <laughs> I think wolf is another. I think there are two like really strong moral compasses for Natty that help her grow one being her father and the other being Wolf. I think she's grown up um, in a world where it's just her and her dad and they've got this couplet and they have each other. And as long as they have each other, they don't really need anybody else. Natty can fight her close friends. It doesn't matter because she's got her dad. And once her dad is gone, she doesn't have that anymore. And I think Wolf comes along and shows her that it's okay to trust more than just her dad. I think he gives her this idea of a pack, if you will. Uh, I think he expands the world for her. He knows what's right and wrong intuitively. He warns her when things are coming that shouldn't be coming. He attacks men who try to get all pervy on her. When the foxes are attacking hens, he attacks the foxes, not the hens. Like He's got a very strong moral compass. And I think it's because of Wolf that she is able to have this relationship with Harry. And I think it's because she sees this sort of like expansion of the world that she's also able to let both Wolf and Harry go so she can like be a new person now with her dad. Yeah. I had a very interesting experience with Wolf because um, I hadn't seen the movie before. So when we get to, we get to the dog fighting and we see Wolf destroy that other dog in the fight. Super violent. Super violent. Um, And then, you know, like the men are all afraid of Wolf, right? There's a part of me, there's a part of me, I was scared of Wolf, right? And I was like, oh, they've ruined this dog, uh, this wolf. They've, they've like, they've gave him a thirst for blood. The abuse that they've given him has turned him into, you know, a monster. And I, I, you know, we see him and he's got blood on his lips from the other, from the other dog, right? And then there's that moment where he's right near Natty and Natty and Wolf lock eyes and Natty knows that he's saying, open the door for me so I can get out. And Natty does. And that was the moment for me where he switched from monster to, like, something more. Something spiritual. Something something lost to the world of men. Right. I mean, he, he's, he's not the big bad wolf with Natty, right? I mean, this is a Disney film. Wolves are always awful. But all of a sudden, they're not. It, it's not, and so, um, and also, I, you know, we talked about this in that darn cat. But the animal, the way in which uh, this an, this is not CGI. This is an animal actor 
um, who is doing an incredible job because I buy every bit of it down to the, you know, my husband's going, how did they film this? It's so violent. And, you know, we see, I, I actually, you know, backed it up a little bit. And I'm like, all right, we see a couple of little scenes that are really bad. And there's obviously like makeup blood on them or whatever. But like, it, yeah, but it's the reaction of the crowd that makes it even more violent. Um, and so, yeah, like, like, he's not the big bad wolf with Natty. He repays her kindnesses. He feeds her. He protects her because he's not a fighter at heart. Uh, he wants to be with a family. Yeah. And first he chooses Natty, and then he chooses, you know, a bunch of Lady Wolves howling for him, I guess. <laughs> Except. <laughs> Except. He still chooses Natty. Because oh, yeah. the reveal at the end of the movie yes. is that when Natty reunites with the father, we see that Wolf is watching from the mountain oh, side, from right. the hillside, and he never stopped protecting her. You're going to make uh. me cry again. Because because he still chose her. Uh, and I don't know that Natty will ever know that. But I don't know that it ever matters. Right? No. Yeah. If you've ever had a dog like that, like I've had a dog like that. You're making me tear up now. Um, <laughs> where like, it, yeah, it's like they just keep coming back and they know. They know what's, they know what's going on with you and they, um, you know, they... They're there. They're you your, and Jennifer they're your have team. Been common. Both of you are, are huge dogs. Yeah, we are. We are. Um, yeah. Yes. Okay, let's go on to Harry. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. You know, they um, a long time ago, somebody told me that you fall in love with the parent that you have the most to work through with. You know, you fall in love with the good side of that parent. And I think, um, I kind of think that's what's going on here with Harry and... Um, and Natty. So you think there's a parallel between who Harry is and who Saul is? And who Saul is, yeah. Or who, maybe who Natty thinks Saul is. Because what did Nat, What did Saul do? He went on a journey looking for work. And that's what Harry's doing, too. Um, and, you know, in, in a lot of ways, their relationship reminds me a whole lot, um, even down to the scenes in the barn, of the 1934 uh, movie by Frank Capra called It Happened One Night. They are Clark Gable and Claudette Colbert. Um, even when Harry says, well, go in style, take the bus. Like, it's immediate throwback to that film for me. It's just this sweet little romance that is unlikely. And that, it, it yeah, it was a total throwback to that film for me. Yeah. Um, one thing that I noticed about Harry, and I don't know if you guys noticed this, he's so clean. Um, like everybody else is dirty in this movie, but like Harry, whenever I see him, they're 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 always he he just always looks like he he's the only person who figured out how to bathe. To, to There's also the often a bright light across his face, just yeah. Oh, yeah. emphasizing that. There's there, it, and it it's I think designed that way so that we trust him or that we see why Natty trusts him. Uh, like there's this visual like good guyness to him, even to the point where like arguably like he should be really mad at Natty when Natty steals his food, um, and then like like he should just chase her off and he's like, eh, all right, sit down, kid. Like let's let's do this. Let's split it, right? Um, yeah. Uh, there's a lot to like about him. Um, I was getting. Some serious big brother energy from him towards Natty 
for the vast majority of this movie. And then it takes a turn. And um, I have feelings about this, but I know you have feelings about this also. Um, so they get to a point and then, you know, Harry and Natty kiss. I mean, we're judging it by today's standards. That's right. right? Like Graydon watched it with me. Graydon is our uh, 10-year-old. Uh, and Graydon was like, oh, I bet the producers made them do that. Well, yeah, they did because it's John Cusack. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like the heartthrob of like, he was Tiger Beat Magazine in 1985. <laughs> I guess my point uh... is, I guess my point is, were we looking for it to turn romantic? This might, so if I were to nitpick this film, which I will do only because I'm here. Right. That's what we do. <laughs> um, Harry is the character that I have a problem with because he, I think if you want to set up a relationship, a romantic relationship, you shouldn't do it with the term of endearment kid because every time he calls her kid, it's infantilizing her. And that <laughs> is not sexy, or at least I hope it isn't sexy. So if he had called her girl or girly or missy or something like that, then maybe there could be a hint towards flirtation and I could see it growing into some kind of romance. But he's dismissive of her. He calls her kid. And as much as I love John Cusack and I do, he's not like a sexually charismatic person. No. He's intellectually charis- uh, sexy, you know, like he's Lloyd Dobler sexy. He's and Joy, not... And, and John, if you're listening, <laughs> like, we we think you're sexy, so... Uh, I think you're very I sexy, I but I don't think that they I mean, I don't think he would disagree with me. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm kidding. laughs> the, the John Cusack that I have in my mind thinks I'm right. Anyway. Uh, no, but I John think... John does listen you, um, <laughs> every week. You guys are right. You guys are right to be talking directly to him. <laughs> wanted this like brooding I, I think part of what you're saying Larry about him being always in this white light and a bit chaste because of it maybe it doesn't have that smoldering sexuality he doesn't have like a grittiness that you would be like oh he's sexy and Natty should kiss him you know I I mean I I feel like without the kiss if he offered for her to come with him I'm I I, I think that I'm like yeah she maybe she should still like but but I've gotten such a brother sister energy from the two of them, um, that I that I felt uncomfortable when they kissed. I understand why it happened. I understand it's a product of the time period. I don't I don't I don't really mean to imply that there is a moral wrongness that they think is being transgressed here. Um, I'm just not there for it. Well, one of the things that happens throughout the rela- their relationship is that Harry will try to get closer to her, and she pushes back. And when he and he at some point he calls her Natty, at some point he calls her whatever. And when she pushes back, he goes back to okay, it's kid, it's this, it's that. I think he admires her spunk, and I think he can't can't help but fall in love with it. And again, I keep going back to it happened one night uh, because Clark Gable is not in love with Claudette Colbert in that movie, like at all. And she kind of grows on him, you know, and they grow on each other. And I think it's this, um, I think it's the same kind of energy. You know, they both have different wants. He kind of sees her as this like pest, but he feels kind of obligated because he doesn't want to see her get hurt. And then, you know, over time, you know, he sees her for who she is, which is this, you know, like 
you know, and who wouldn't want to be with somebody who is hell bent on a on a goal and a mission, right? Um, yeah. And and it really who helps him get to where he needs to be. And I think that scene in the barn is so important, you know, where, you know, he, he reveals himself to her, yeah. maybe in a way he has never revealed it to anybody else. And I think that scene is where it takes a turn. Um, I think that's where, where we turn there. I mean, speaking as somebody who fell in love with their best friend, right? I, I see that as being kind of like, the, oh, there's this moment where you're like, oh, wow, you're kind of cute. you know. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I think it. I think it work, it works for me anyway. Yep. Um, should we talk about Connie? She is the villain in the wick. We don't want to talk about Connie. She, I think she's the villain of this movie. Not really? Yeah. I think she's the wicked stepmother of the film. And I think once Saul is gone, she has no desire to, I think she's in love with Saul just by the way she touches his face. Yes. I think so too. I think she is. Uh, and once Saul's gone, uh, she has no desire to deal with the brat, just like in Cinderella, where, you know, the evil stepmother, once the guy's dead, it's like, well, how do I get rid of Cinderella? It feels similar to me. I, I wish agree. that they could see my face right now, because you guys are both nodding. She's terrible. She's horrible. And I am so taken aback by this. <laughs> you can't tell me you thought she was like a nice, lovable character. I did. I mean, it's Lainey Kazan, and we love Lainey Kazan, but I did, geez, Larry. I didn't on. think she was nice and lovable. But I don't think she's the antagonist of this movie. I don't well, I think, think she's, she's I think she's Miss Hannigan. I think she's Saul awful. Saul asks too much of her. Saul takes advantage of the fact that she's attracted to him and says, can you watch and take care of my kid? She's his landlady. There's and a step between. What? There's a step between take care of my kid and send her to the cops. Like Connie had other choices. I think by the point, Natty is not easy to take care of. There are clear rules that, that, that Connie has set up even before dad is gone that Natty is trampling on. Like the fact that Natty keeps adopting dogs <laughs> into this house where no dogs are allowed. This is not a character flaw, but go on. Great. <laughs> Just, justice for Connie. I'm going to say, I'm going to say, I do think we see Connie wrestle with the fact that she's not equipped to parent Natty. She doesn't have it in her. Natty doesn't listen to her. So they're they're in this adversarial way. She does not have the parental authority. She she like gets super frustrated with Natty, and then you know says. You know, I don't, we haven't heard from Saul in a while. You know, I, I can't do this for the rest of my life. And she, and she calls. Uh, is it the best decision she's ever made? I would say no. Do I think she's a villain for doing it? At a certain point, you do have to wonder, at, at what point does Connie make the call and say, Natty needs to be protected by the state? She's, she's. But there is no protection by the state. The thing that's going to happen to the thing that's going to happen to Natty is she's going to go into prison, okay? And Connie knows this, and that's what makes her terrible. Nobody, it, it makes her awful. And it wasn't that long because Saul is still on the bus. Exactly. When she makes this phone call, so I, I looked it up. It takes a few days, <laughs> but it has been less than a week. Yeah. Okay. Well, I didn't get the sense that it was less than a week. <laughs> If I, I also feel like 
she was in it for the money. And at a certain point, she was like, you know what? This isn't worth the money. Screw the kid. Yeah, if you're not paying in advance, it's going to be nine instead of seven. Connie, if you, I know you listen as well. Um <laughs> I, I Lainey, Lainey, like if Lainey Kazan listens to this podcast, I am I I bow in her greatness. She is one of my favorite actresses. I ever. I felt that there was a there was con, there was a conflict within Connie about what she was doing, and I don't think she made the right decision. But I'm not going to vilify her for it. <laughs> I did not get that the time frame was a week, and I feel less impassioned about this than I did when I started. <laughs> I had felt that there had been at least a month, uh, possibly months, but okay, it was a week. Uh, all right, yeah, that's not reasonable. Connie wants, Connie wants a man and to the point where to the point where when the police come, right? What does she do? She puts on makeup and she even takes a a, a courage shot before she even goes to the door. Like she's ready to hook up with a police officer. And all I forget it is a strong, confident woman <laughs> who is is owns her sexuality, knows what she wants, and goes after it. Good she for is you, impa- who is imperiling a, yeah, another woman, and those are women we don't Young like. Girl. I'm not canonizing <laughs> her for sainthood. All right, we may <laughs> have to agree to disagree. <laughs> I think we will. All right, Sherman. Can we agree on Sherman? Well, that's I, I like Sherman. Out. <laughs> Is he the villain of this? Because I'm out. No, he's out. not. He's not. Um, but he he plays a role in this movie. Um, you know, a lot of times we talk about supporting characters being kind of on the arc of a character to um, uh, of the protagonist to be sort of an engine, and that's what Sherman is. Um, he allows us to see Natty's street smarts. He allows us to see Saul's dilemma. Um, and he he allows, I mean, he's a home for the puppy. And um, and we get to see how dangerous it would be for Natty to ride the rail so we know what the stakes are. So that's the function he very entertainingly plays. Um, and I think as a street peddler, and I think he's a I think he's a great character. Uh, no, he's fun. He 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 provides the rare ally for um for Natty, uh, back home. Possibly like the last link to her father in a, in a weird or a last link to paternal affection. Mm. Is that is that a better? That's um, yeah. There there's a there's a world in which you have to say why didn't Saul leave Natty with Sherman rather than with Connie? I think Sherman would have been a better fit. Oh yeah, but no, yeah, true. But then we won't have a movie. I'm with you. I'm just saying. <laughs> I think Saul really. Well, but he would think, oh, Connie, he, she needs a motherly figure. I should leave her with Connie, right? Yeah. Who is not a motherly figure, and Saul's desperate, clearly. But yeah. right, right, and I do think Saul Saul is playing the game that Connie's into me, so she'll take good care of Natty. I think <laughs> I think it is a calculated, so. manipulative move. Because Saul has no intent of of pursuing Connie romantically. I disagree with you. I think that Saul is a very loving, trusting character who thinks Connie is a a woman. I love Natty. There's no one in the world who can't love Natty because Natty's the best in the whole wide world. Natty already lives here. She's independent. All Connie has to do is give her some, you know, some food and make sure she goes to bed. I'm with I'm with uh, I'm with Jennifer here. 
I'm, I'm I guess maybe, maybe I'm a little less trusting of men than you you both are, and uh, <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> no, I, I think, but I think it works with Saul's character in that he wants to think the best of everyone. He thinks the best of Connie. He thinks the best. He really does. He thinks the best of everyone until he finds the wallet. And, and maybe that's when Connie kinda... really is her best self when she's around Saul. Maybe she Probably, is. I'm sure she is. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure she's great. <laughs> All right, Parker. Parker and his gang. See, and I would say Parker is the antagonist of this movie if we're going to point to a single character as the antagonist. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm fond of looking to Disney movies and saying the antagonist is the protagonist, but with m- making the different choices, the wrong choices. Mm. And whereas when Natty is separated from her father, her desire is to reunite. Parker's decision is in a is to emancipate himself, do whatever he wants. Re- he does not cling to the moral code that Natty clings to. Uh, he's the dark mirror to Natty. Uh, Natty could also be a leader of a gang. She has leadership qualities. Mm-hmm. She could do what Parker's doing. Right? What, am, am I reading too much into it? Natty as as the Parker as the dark version of Natty? Because I think no, I hadn't thought of it before. I think you're right. I think can I, I yeah. Go ahead. Can I just, I just why were they trying to capture the bull to sell it? They were going to steal yeah. it and sell it to somebody else. Okay. It does not seem like the world's greatest scam to me. Why would you steal a bull? And who's going to buy a bull? I don't know. I don't, I, it's pretty brass. Um, I I don't know. Maybe maybe there's a farmer across town that Parker knows who's who's hoping to impregnate his cows. I, I... but isn't it pretty obvious if, a, if there's this? I mean, sorry, this is like obviously not the logic of the film. But if someone steals a bull, wouldn't you know? Hey, that's my bull that was stolen. You have to give it back anyway. I mean, I mean, I think they're uh, going to take it sorry. to get it. I, I got the idea that they were going to take it to get it butchered, but that you team. know, yeah. That was kind of my idea because those kids are starving. And, you know, when when people I kind of have a soft spot for Parker and his I mean, he is the dark side of Natty. But at the same time, um, he's not been as lucky as she has. No, he has not had a wolf. He has not had a Harry. He doesn't even have a Sherman. So parents, his father abandoned him cruelly. Right, right. And so, you know. While he's pretty brash and he's trying to steal a bull, that's not the truck that Natty can hang on to, literally, right? She can't, that's not, that's not who she is. And at the same time, it's really, here they are sitting across the street from this grocer who's like, I'm tired of you kids panhandling. And it's like, you know, gosh, they're starving. Right. And again, it gives it gives a lot of. I will talk about this when we get to themes, but it gives a lot of. Uh, th- there were things going on, you know, socially. There were not a lot of safety nets in 1934, 1935, right? Yeah. No, I. I mean, the, so it's kind of hard to blame him for who he is. They use the time period very well here to to inform the characters, and I think it devilifies the villains to for the most part. Um, you know, there's there's a number of minor villains we're not going to talk about today. I, I I don't really want to spend a lot of time on the train conductor who's who's like not the you know the one who's like you know I've got the girl here ah, you know like 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 
but but most of the characters that we spend a significant amount of time here, what makes them villainous is their need to survive. Yeah. Not yeah. not that they themselves are inherently bad, but that in order to live in this world, it's hard to be noble. And yet Saul makes a different choice, right? Saul always makes a different Natty choice. Natty makes Natty. a different choice. Harry makes a different choice. Yeah. And, um, you know, these movies sort of remind me of a lot of like Annie or Hugo. Yes. Or Kit Kittredge, where the protagonist is on this quest for security in really desperate times. And their character, even though they're getting a lot of setbacks at every turn, their character uh, of optimism is really what gets them through uh, to whereas other people might crumple. Their optimism is sort of the engine that gets them to to their goal. Yeah, I'll agree with that. I would agree with that. They have big dreams, too. They're not limited by their circumstances or just what they have immediately around them. Right, right. Like, you could make an argument that Parker and his gang, they've done something quite optimistic. They've made their own family. Mm -hmm. But that's it. You know, they're just going to keep in this little circle stealing bowls and all of that. But it's also also not a real family because Parker abandons Natty. Right. Mm -hmm. And when, when the going gets tough, it's like, if you can get on board, you're with us. But but there's no there's no real bond. They're not really looking out for each other. Parker would have driven off if it was just him and none of the boys had gotten onto onto the wagon. Well, and they kind of hazed her too. They, right. There's also in the gang. There's that one girl who's sort of um, who's who's sort of in like, love with like, Parker, like the mall of the gang. Yeah. Sort sort of sort of like the way um, who who shoots a lot of threatening looks at Nanny Natty. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, like there's, there's like, it's very clear, like, even if Natty joins this gang, this is not a family that will welcome her. Like they'll use her, but. Oh yeah. It's a family based on misery and, and survival. Right. And if you're not, if you're not helping us, if you're not, you're not, if you're against this, you're not for us. Right. No artful dodger saying, consider yourself at home. Right, 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 right. None of that. No, no. All right, so then we have two other characters I want to talk about because I think they're the same character, um, and that's Twinkie and then the the girl at the juvenile detention center and then uh, Charlie the blacksmith, what? who I think are... I could make an argument that these are the real heroes of this story. Right? Wow. I, I mean, because, definitely on the side of good. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Twinkie helps Natty escape from a prison and gives her a disguise. And, and covers it, it up. And covers it up. Completely. Yeah. And if, um, if she hadn't had that moment, because, because really in that moment, uh, Natty is without, um, she's without resources. She doesn't really know how to get out of it. And she's She's at her most vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. Did you guys feel like you wanted Twinkie to go with her? Yeah. Yes, of course. Yes. I, I, I was ready for this to become a buddy movie and yeah. for Twinkie to be the buddy. Sure. Yeah. And it just doesn't happen, sadly. You know, it doesn't. Twinkie's, Twinkie's stuck. Um, I, but since the movie lets us write our own ending, I'm going to decide that, you know, Saul and Natty go back and they adopt her. Then Great. they circle back for Harry. I could see it. And then the wolf it. shows up and they all live on a farm and they're all very happy. <laughs> I love it. I love it. The or they go get. I like Charlie the blacksmith too. I think here's somebody who sure let's get needs Natty, loves her, takes care of her, knows what's going on. Like he he understands what it's mean to what it means to be rejected by society, 
in much the same way the wolf understands it. And so the fact that he bonds with this wolf and keeps this wolf, um, and he keeps her until he just can't, but his his wrestle um, really helps Natty and the wolf reunite. There's so many great subversions of tropes, especially for a 1985 movie. You know, one of the things that we see so often in movies is we know a bad guy is a bad guy because they're scarred. I mean, we'll talk about this in The Lion King, I guess, eventually. Um, <laughs> as like the ultimate version of that. But that the scar means that they're evil. They're marked with evil. Right, and right. it's just not true. It is, it is a mark that something profoundly traumatic happened to him at some point. Um, but, but they have this guy. They, they've intentionally want him to look scary. But they subvert it. Heart of gold. You can't. I, I I love his. He's not in the movie for very long, but it is a it is a great performance, and it's well yeah. written, and it's and it's well skate. Like uh, it's a it's a win on every every side. I think. Yeah. He he's by far the most surprising character, and in watching it this time, I didn't remember him having been in it, so I was worried for Natty, uh, and of course for the wolf, and the way he's shot is scary you know he shot from below with the light on his scar and uh and he's just i mean he's just such a beautiful lovely character and i think he shows us that there's power in vulnerability you know natty in the beginning is tough all the time you call my dad a pop call me i'm gonna hit you right 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 and here is uh charlie showing her Whatever you see here, I'm still a kind, loving person, and I would never hurt a wolf. He is the opposite of the pervy guy who picks yes. Natty up yes. hitchhiking. They are yep. foils of each other. They are he, the, that other guy. He looked perfectly fine. There was nothing sinister about him. Seemed super friendly, but he was a grade A creep. Um, I don't want to get too into it, but but he is molesty, molesty, uh, yuck, awful. Terrible. And it's such a, again, it speaks to the strength of the screenplay and the balance in the screenplay because every character is balanced and every scene has, it's, it's so well done. It's they so do, well done. They do so much in every yeah. single moment. They also, for the kid at home, remind us that hitchhiking is dangerous. That's right. That we're not going to romanticize it. Natty, Natty is in real danger there. You don't have a wolf. What would have happened to Natty if she didn't have a wolf? Or rail riding, right? Yeah, I mean it's the yeah. same kind of thing. Things blow up, right? Yeah, they, it's and then but it, but it doesn't feel like after school, especially to me. No, where they're pre, they're they don't get preachy about it. They just show there are consequences to these actions. Natty internalizes it without ever speaking of it. We learn a lesson and we move on. Oh, it's so great! I really enjoyed this movie. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah, it's not didactic at all. The film is great. And um, keeps keeps moving for sure, Larry. It's only an you, hour. Yeah, yeah, Larry. When you were um, when you and I were talking, you said you wanted to talk about the relationship between Natty and her father. I'm so curious I'll talk about, about this, this briefly because we've hit some of it earlier. The thing that this movie does that's so smart is it recognizes there's a story problem, and the story problem is it's about a dad leaving his daughter behind. And that it's about the daughter going back to the father. How do we do this, break this story in a way where we, where the dad is not the villain, mm. where, where it's about 
where we can actually root for them to be reunited and not feel like dad's a monster for abandoning her. And they make so many smart choices with this. First of all, we see that Natty's dad, they spend some time with Natty and Saul, and we see their relationship and we see their bond. When, when Saul is initially offered the job, on principle, he says no. He's like, I'm not going to take this job that's going to send me away from my daughter. And then when he is about to walk out, he sees all those other guys out of luck. How many people are poor and miserable and desperate mm. and realizes he has no choice. We watch him spend that entire day because he's got to get on that bus at 635. He's got no choice but to take the job. He's got no choice but to get on that bus. And what does he do with that day? He spends that whole day looking for her unsuccessfully. Yep. And then setting take, setting up provisions for her to be taken care of. Um, Absolutely. And, and then throughout the movie, we see him calling Connie to find out. He gets mad at Connie when, when, when Natty's disappeared. Uh, he's about to leave the camp to go back and start looking for her when they find Natty's wallet in the, in the overturned train, which... We need to happen because we need him to stay place. If they both start looking for each other, they're going to crisscross the country forever and never find each other. So he stays in place. And then, and then when all hope is lost, he starts trying to, like, take the most dangerous jobs because without Natty, he just, he doesn't have a reason not to take those risks. Um, and it's so well done. I'm never mad at him for leaving her. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can see it. You can see other, you know, other movies where that abandonment is something where you're like, well, I never want that kid to ever find their father again. But in this one, we're really rooting for Saul and for and for Natty, for sure. I see the writer working on this and grappling mm -hmm. with this problem. And a lot of the times when you watch a movie and you watch a writer grappling with the problem, you don't see them come out on top of it. And I love, I love that they come out on top of this. It's 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 well executed. I think there's a lot to learn in it in terms of exhaust what it you know what it is? It's that they're like, I know what the audience is going to be thinking, and I'm not gonna pretend the audience isn't thinking it. So yeah. every question that the audience asks, why didn't he find her that day? He tried. He was looking for her. Why didn't he leave a note? He did leave a note. He told the person who, who stayed like every question you could ask what could you do better in his position there's nothing we could do better he thought of it all so good. he did so good he did, he did everything he could and it's because again he loves her and wants to provide for her that he abandons her and that is i mean that's the that's what's so interesting like i said i love a good paradox in a movie and this there it is right there and we find out at the end too that he had sent her a ticket Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And when that ticket happens, it's like she gets renewed hope. Like, he wants me. And even though Parker and other people have tried to dissuade her, nobody likes you, and nobody, you're an orphan, and blah, 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 she has never believed that. She's kept her dad's optimism and kept that... Uh, I, kept I think that there are going. moments where she fights off doubts, but who sure. wouldn't? Who wouldn't? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's so well done. It's so well done. Do we have any protagonist problems in this movie? None. We might have an antagonist problem in this movie. <laughs> ah, there we go. Ah. But I don't think we've got a protagonist problem. 
I mean, um, I think we have a series of antagonists, right? We have a lot of different um, antagonists in this film. And, yes. and maybe, you know, maybe Harry's a bit of an anta- antagonist at times and shifts around and maybe, you know, but yeah, I think we have just, I think we have dozens of antagonists. We have dozens of antagonists, but there's no one to hang our hat on. This person no. is, is our big bad villain. Um, And really, that leads us to the idea that maybe it's just the hostile nature of the world. The Great Depression itself might be the antagonist of the movie. There are societal structural problems that need to be addressed as the antagonist of this movie. Uh, For me, the most villainous um, are the people who are running juvie. Those well, yeah, or yeah. the people who burned down the camp, right? The yeah. main streeters oh, yeah. that Harry talks about. I mean, and and I mean, this kind of gets us into themes already. But um, this movie is about haves versus have-nots, and who matters and who doesn't. And in in this world, the main streeters matter, and the have-nots are expendable. And even Saul, to a point. Starts starts to believe, you know, he loses his hope. He loses the the idea that I have a right to work. I have a right to be here. I have a right to exist. I have a right to take care of myself and my family. To the point of, yeah, I'll, I'll be a topper. I'll I'll climb that tree and do that hard thing. And so, um, it's haves versus have nots. And even in the late the labor camp, which Saul seems to like. Yeah, You know, everybody just kind of assumes like, hey, if you go up top, you're dead. Hey, if you mess with dynamite, you're dead. Are you willing to risk it? And guys are sitting there and they all eventually start raising their hands. And it's a sad, I mean, I, I think that works. I yep. think the Great Depression and the nature of the the gritty reality, harsh reality of it, um, is that some people matter and some people don't. And we have, and we as an audience are left to wrestle with that. Agreed. Yeah, I agree. So that's a big theme for me: is haves versus have-nots. Do we see some other themes? Hope. Hope is hope is a theme. For sure. The redemptive nature of love is a theme. <laughs> Every week. But it is. <laughs> it is. It is. I mean, it's a Disney movie. Of course, it is. Yes. <laughs> um. What else is what else is a theme? I, I think there is a there is a man versus nature theme in this movie as well. Mm. Uh, man is the spoiler. Of, we saw this in Bambi, obviously, Andy. Uh, but but to agree, man has intruded on the natural world a little bit. Yeah, it's not the biggest theme of the movie, but it's I think there. Um, and how can man d- domesticate nature when man is such a mess? The world that man has made is so messy. Right. I mean, another theme I have is that people aren't always what they seem. Because the people, the people that seem to be the caregivers or seem to be the, you know, person in charge or seem to be the kindly person who stops to pick you up when hitchhiking, they're not, they're not always there. And, and there's a real need for, and this is a great movie to help kids, especially, you know, young, young teenagers start to understand that not everybody has your best interest. Yeah. So. Female empowerment. For sure. Right on. For sure. But you're it's talking coming, about Connie, right? 
<laughs> uh, sure. I mean, she runs her own place. She is yeah, a strong, yeah. powerful woman. Uh, does, yep. I don't disagree. I don't think she's a kind person, okay. but she is a strong, empowered woman. I'll give you that. Nice. All right. This is a coming of age film for sure. A hundred percent. Yes. Coming Agreed. of age. Yeah. Okay. So this is where we play our little parlor game, Jennifer, where we pitch what we would do with this movie. And when we're talking about doing it, we're usually talking about doing a sequel to it. Sometimes we talk prequels. Sometimes we talk about taking a character and doing something with them. What would you guys like to do? You're given a green light. Do whatever you want with the with the Natty Gan property. What do you want to do? Hmm. Well, I know what I wouldn't do. What wouldn't you do, Andy? <laughs> I wouldn't make a story about Connie. Fair enough. <laughs> or if I did, I would call it Annie and she would be Miss Hannigan because they're the same character. <laughs> hey, I've got feelings about Miss Hannigan, too. If we ever do Annie, I'll... I'll oh, yeah. love it. Love it. What do you guys think? So I thought about this. I think that, <laughs> in my humble opinion, this is a near-perfect film. Mm-hmm. I think this story happens at the only time in Natty's life when it could happen. I don't think it could happen earlier. I don't think it could happen later. I don't think we could do this again uh, because it would minimize this story or make it into some kind of trope. Like, oh, there goes Natty again, getting in another mishap. The second yeah. journey. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the way back. Um <laughs> Natty gets back home. Uh, so I've been thinking a lot about, so if this main story is Natty and her dad versus the world, uh, I would do a prequel of how Saul and Natty's mom met. So this is like, mm. I imagine they met in like 19, this is 1935. So I imagine they meet like 1920 to 1923-ish. Um, so Prohibition era, Big class divides. In my mind, Natty's mom is a daughter of a rich socialite, very well-to-do, very sheltered, very protected. Saul is more salt of the earth, a little more worldly and wise. And Romeo and Juliet style, they're kept apart. They can't come together. But the two of them bond together. They fight against the world and they end up together. But like maybe throughout, Natty's mom's had like a little bit of a cough. And then, you know, she gets married, she gets sick. I don't know, it's consumption or TB or whatever she gets. But she has baby Natty and she's lying on her deathbed. She says to Saul, love Natty as I have loved you. And then he picks up Natty and looks at her and says, you and me, kid, it's you and me against the world. Oh my God, now I'm going to cry again. Versus (laughs) dogs and... Thought a lot about it. (laughs) Dead mothers and dogs. This has been quite an episode. (laughs) So I have two. I have two versions of this. Okay. One version of this would be to redo the movie as an animated movie, but the protagonist is Wolf and Natty is the side character. We see, mm. we see young Wolf as a cub being taken, raised for dog fighting. He's about he thinks that all humans are terrible, you know, horrible people. And then as he leaves, he meets this little girl named Natty. And we don't ever hear the human speak. We just hear we just hear Wolf's perspective. That's one way of doing it. But if I was going to do a sequel, World War II is right around the corner. <laughs> it is. You're reading my mail. You're reading my mail. Am I reading your mail? Is that yeah, what it's good? Good. Also, 
Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Well, I, I'm thinking, you know, Solon lists. Um, it's the greatest generation after all. But I think Natty goes over with the women's, uh, with the wax. Uh, mm-hmm. The women's auxiliary, uh, my, my grandmother was a whack. Uh, okay. My grandmother went over because she's like, why did I go? Because that's where the boys were. Um, but right. <laughs> but uh, Natty goes, and when she's there, she's also reunited with Harry. Again, yeah. she's looking for, she, she, she signs up to go looking for her dad who was lost in action. Um, so it's, it's, it's Natty Gan European vacation, I guess. Um, but, but Harry also has enlisted and maybe now that they're older, the age difference doesn't feel as bad to me and I can root for them romantically. I almost have that same pitch with Harry being, uh, but I have Harry married to somebody else. Oh, Connie. (laughs) (laughs) Not Connie. We don't want Connie to live. <laughs> wow. You have a problem with the age difference between Natty and Yeah, Harry. exactly. You have like, to have yeah. a problem with the age difference between Connie and Harry. I'm fair. Sustained. <laughs> Sustained. Oh, my gosh. I have had so much fun, you guys. This has been... I hope our listeners have had, too. What are we doing next week, Larry? Next week, we are doing The Emperor's New Groove. Ooh. Very fun. Yes. Very Jennifer, fun. it has been a pleasure, and you can come back and talk to us about Disney films anytime. Thank we are having a blast. Thank and you. what and what are you doing with your tell us a little bit about what's going on with uh, Paris Underground Radio. I'm totally intrigued. So I'm starting a podcast network um, for expats who live in and around Paris. It's going to be a whole community with the podcast as the linchpin. And we'll be launching in September with eight to ten shows, but there'll be more coming along after that. Hopefully grow a whole big community. There'll be a, a marketplace and hopefully events eventually. Ooh, fun. Makes me want to go to Paris and check some of that out. Come on over. I'd love that. Sure. And you can find Jennifer at jenniforia.com. Uh, and on any social network, she's at Jenniforia. Uh, J-E-N-N-Y-P-H-O-R-I-A. All right. And fans, you can find us at our Facebook page, Once Upon a Disney Podcast, and on Twitter at, at Andy Redwine and at Larry Brenner 6. And should you have a pressing question for us to answer, you can always drop an email into our mailbag at Once Upon a Disney Podcast at gmail.com. This has been a real treat. I'm glad to see these two friends reunited. You guys are, you guys are great. Yeah.